there. This is the Dennis Anyone Podcast with me, Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love to talk to creative people, but today we're flipping the script. I'm going to play an episode of a podcast that I was actually the guest on. I was being interviewed. The podcast is called Lost Spaces, and the host is Kay Anderson. He's a gentleman from London, and he reached out to me and asked if I'd be a guest on this podcast. And Lost Spaces is about lost queer spaces and the memories that we have about them, uh, venues and the impact that they had on the people that went there, that drank there, that danced there, that loved there, and... He reached out to me and asked if I'd want to be a guest on this podcast, and I thought about it for a bit, and then I remembered, okay, yeah, I do want to do it, because there's a place I could talk about at length called Oil Can Harry's. It's a country and western bar in Studio City. I, I speak about it in the present like it's it's going to reopen, but it, uh, it didn't make it through the pandemic, but I have so many cherished memories of it. I made so many friends there. I met people I dated there, I made out there. It was just a wonderful place. Saturday nights was disco night. And I used to think, I I remember going there and dancing and having a ball. And I always thought, you know what, no matter how old I get or weird I get or how, this place is always going to be here for me. It wasn't snobby. Like it wasn't, anyone anyone was welcome. Everyone was welcome. And I thought, oh, this place is always going to be there for me. And I guess, I guess it turns out it's not. So um, I did the podcast with Kay, and it's, it ran a few weeks ago on his podcast, Lost Spaces, and he's nice enough to let me use the recording here. So it's a little bit different than what we usually do, but I hope you enjoy it. We kind of went in some different directions. You may learn more about me than you care to know, um, but I was in a mood, and it was it was fun to talk about, and I think that what he's doing with this podcast is important and interesting And I'm looking forward to having him on my podcast to interview him about why he's doing it and what it's about for him. So that'll be coming down the pike. But before we get to our conversation about Oil Can Harry's, I want to remind you that there are now two ways to listen to Dennis Anyone. You can listen, as you always do, on your favorite podcast app, or you can become a subscriber to DNR Studios. And for $12.95 a month, you'll get access to my show 48 hours earlier, as well as a whole host of other shows that are part of the studios. That includes Tom Goss's show, Perfect Date, The Focus Group, Adam Sank's show, The Derek and Romaine show. That's the flagship show, of course. And uh, you can learn all about that at dnrstudios.com. And if you subscribe and say that I'm the show you listen to the most... Uh, I'll get a little money, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a, it's a capitalist society. I'm not going to apologize. All right. Um, we also have a phone number. If you ever want to call and leave a message about anything on the show, I might play it. Um, the number is one 647 9653 All right. And that's enough of the business. Here now is the conversation I had with Kay Anderson as part of his podcast, Lost Spaces, all about the late great club of Harris. It was just not trying to be cool ever. And as a result, it was always kind of wonderful. Hello, I am Kay Anderson, and you are listening to Lost Spaces, the podcast that mourns the death of queer nightlife. Now, every week I talk to a different person about a venue from their past, the memories that they created there, and the people that they used to know. 
So I'm kind of fascinated with gay country and western bars where people dress up in their finest cow boy, cow person, cow woman outfits. They square dance, they two-step, they mosey on down and they do things like that that I have heard in American TV shows but don't actually know what they mean. Anyway, this isn't something that happens in the UK or in Australia or anywhere else that I know of, and if I am wrong, please do let me know. So it's just been this odd curiosity to me up until now. But luckily for me, Dennis Hensley, the writer, performer, and host of the Dennis Anyone podcast, took the time to tell me all about the etiquette, the ceremony, and the vibe that you would find at Oil Can Harry's, a country and western bar in LA, which unfortunately closed during the pandemic. Along the way, Dennis tells me all about his experiences of fumbling with menfolk, and you know I like a story about fumbling with menfolk, feeling lonely at the club, and how it felt the first time that he ever saw two men dancing cheek to cheek. confidence around dancing the way guys with big dicks must have about their dick in the locker room. Do you know what I mean? Like, I have a bit of swagger around it, right? And I think that that attracted this particular person. And who he was a handsome guy, and we dated for a while, and it, it didn't work out, but he was somebody that I met at oil cans. And I think that light for me in that place, dancing in that way, was me i felt sexy in that in that in that mm -hmm. space mm -hmm. and i think it, it worked on him anyway you know um wait so then your plan was to dance make sure they see you dancing and then yes. be like hey you want a slice of this yes yes the the thing is and i think this has happened a number of times in my life is that i don't always that's the sexiest stuff I do. <laughs> it do well. That's well it's all downhill do. from there, is that what yes. you're saying? <laughs> yeah. They're like, wait, where's that slutty guy that knew all the moves? You're, yeah. That's a oh, thing. That's no. not a, that's but not can't an you just issue. translate the dance moves that you're doing whilst Possibly. you're vertical to what you're doing horizontal? Can't, isn't that just... I mean, theoretically, it just, it, that just hasn't been my... Mo. Also, maybe because there was, I was, I'm, I'm better at dancing than I am at sex, for sure, for sure. What? Why are you telling me this? Well, I don't know. I just felt like <laughs> it felt like a relevant topic. Well, and and I do like I do appreciate. It. I want to hear <laughs> yes. more about it. I thought this was a freewheeling thing. <laughs> no, it, are you disgusted? Is. Do I disgust you? It, no, 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 no. It's not disgusting. It's just an interesting observation to make. I suppose. Oh, for sure. And. Is it because you were afraid of sex, or is it just that you're actually just terrible at the mechanics of sex? A little of both. Or, or I was disappointed in it once I started experiencing it. It didn't come as naturally to me as dancing. 
if that's if that makes any sense. You know, some people are like, I just did what came naturally. Oh, yeah, please, I wish. I wish any of it came naturally in terms of pure mechanics. And so is that related to your direct enjoyment of it? Yes. And then, so you, so you didn't enjoy it, so you didn't kind of know to pursue, like, oh, I'll do more of this because this yeah. was fun. Ah, oh, that's interesting. I don't have a lot of memories of having my world rocked by it, for sure. And that's another thing that... Uh, I would, wouldn't mind another crack at it. And so is it always just like, oh, that was a thing I did and now I have to clean up? No, it's more a feeling like you let the other person down. Oh, really? Yeah. I, there have been more than one person that would see the kind of person I was on the dance floor and be like, where'd that guy go? You, I thought you were confident in this way. Okay, but did they actually say that to you or are you projecting that onto them? I think, I think one at least said it. Yeah. But not in that cruel way, but like, yeah, yeah. I remember when I met, like, like that was so, there was so much confidence there. I thought that was so sexy, and this is different. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. What do you think it is that you just overthink it? Possibly. Yeah. Also, I think starting late and having it so loaded with negative messages wasn't helpful. But I've had time to try to work on that and uh, and have at times. But it's been an area of frustration in my life, for sure. And you've said about if you had the opportunity to do things over, you'd do things differently. Does that mean that you're not willing to explore now? Um, no, I am willing to explore now, absolutely. Okay. It's hard during the pandemic, for sure. Uh, now that's yeah. kind of easing up. Yeah, but, you know, I'm, I'm a, a man of a certain age. So, yeah, it's something I'm absolutely open to doing and, and, and have taken steps toward doing. Um, Tell but, me more about this statement, I'm a man of a certain age. Um, I'm, in, I'm 57. So, okay. I don't know. You're just, uh, the, the people you meet are younger. And, then, and some are attracted to guys your age. Some, some are like, don't get out of here. Troll. Mm, yeah. Mm. It's a feeling of like, you know, youth is a commodity for a lot of, for a lot of people. So, yeah. and maybe that's all in my head. Maybe if I actually got out there in the world, it would not be a big deal at all. And everyone would be saying, daddy this, daddy that. But also if you want a daddy, you want a daddy that fucking knows what he's doing. <laughs> right? That is not my MO. Well, it's like everyone, I, I, <laughs> everyone has their own kink. Like there must be someone out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I just don't know if anyone's kink is my particular intersection of uh, attributes. But but it's, but I'm not not going to bemoan it. I'm either going to try to do something about it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. You know, like I'm going to explore it or whatever, and I'm going to take some chances. And I and I had right before the pandemic, I had a. A, uh, a nice little uh, situation. Um, so I, w- I would be open to more of that. Um, so if anyone's interested, drop us a line now. There you- exactly. <laughs> no, for sure. For sure. The, so the, um, the, the thing that you've said about youth being a commodity, I do find that fascinating. May- find- maybe we just pursue, perceive it to be, and maybe it's not as much. Because I know people that are like, you know what, I'm a daddy and I get... I get I, I have yeah. no trouble. But this um, is what I'm about to get onto as well. Like, I know lots of people who are not 
skinny or like right. not like this kind of uh, quote unquote acceptable body shape and so they've just decided that oh well I'm just not going to be sexual I'm just not going to have sex and that the same thing happens to people when they get to a certain age like oh the world doesn't want me to have sex anymore I'm just going right. to stop having sex and it's like what and like i'm not saying that i don't understand where they're coming from because all messages that they're receiving are you are undesirable but it's like you don't just stop having sexual needs and desires and functions like go out and get it right some of my friends the thing that i admire most i can think of a handful of friends that have this sort of confidence around Mm. it and a very Mm. positive outlook and i'm like Yes, that is what I would like to move towards. And they're not always the youngest and they're not, you know, always the prettiest or whatever, but they're like, they're confident and they enjoy it and they have a kind of a positive outlook around it and I admire it and I try to emulate it. But something else that happens though, as you get older, is your friends that you used to go out to the club with, they get Mm -hmm. partners Mm -hmm. and they... You know, well, you're just, you're, your crew are gone. So like when I think about my oil cans friends, a lot of them are, are settled down and that's it, you know? So, so let's take a step back then. Sure. Have you always lived in LA? Uh, I grew up in Arizona, a small town in Arizona, and I went to university in Tempe, Arizona, which is the bigger city, Phoenix, uh, metropolis area. And then I moved to Los Angeles right after college. And I've been here ever since, although I worked on cruise ships for a few years and uh, was gone a lot, uh, but mm-hmm. L.A. was my base. So pretty much here since right after college. And have you been a practicing homosexual the entire time you've been in L.A.? Yes. I mean, I think when I first moved here after college... I had not ever been with anyone. And I had my first boyfriend experience on the cruise ships. So I had moved to, I think I moved to LA. When I moved out here with my car full of stuff, I think I had never been with anyone. Yeah. Uh, I know. I was the late bloomer for sure. Uh, but uh, is it one of those situations where you had decided, well, as soon as I get to LA, that's it, breaks are off? No, I, in college, I, I started to know, oh, I'm gay. Like, these, I'm into these guys. Like, I'm really attracted to, to this one. And I had a friend that I was in love with, but I didn't have the courage oh. to act on it. What's his name? Uh, I don't know if I want to say it. <laughs> Let's um, make up a name. Barry. All right. His name was Harry. And um, he was younger than I was. And we only spent, a, you know, a, a short sort of intense period as friends right before I moved. And I didn't have the courage to say how I felt and, and what was sort of going on. And he was younger than me, so I didn't feel like I didn't even want to be responsible for my own hmm. sexuality, let alone his. But that had happened before I moved out to L.A. So it was I knew what I, I knew what I was attracted to, but I hadn't acted on anything. Also, AIDS was it, it was the mid 80s at this point mm-hmm. so it was in the news a lot and it was scary and it was killing people and um so that that was a part of my thing and i was also sort of just kind of late like i i looked like i was in junior high when i was in high school and i looked like i was in high school when i was in college so i just kind of 
I wasn't one of those guys that had pubic hair in, in, in like high school PE or something. You know what I mean? Like I was the one of like, when am I going to mature? So I was just kind of behind. And I also was raised Mormon. And so I don't think I had a lot of spiritual guilt, shame, I'm bad or, or whatever. But I did have this thing of like wanting to be responsible, wanting to be a good boy. But I think that had more to do with my family life than the religion. But I was kind of late in terms of um, coming into my sexuality. I was kind of afraid around it for some very valid reasons and some that I think were self-imposed. And I also was a little moralistic about it. I was a little like promiscuous people. There 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 was something bad about that. There was something bad about being promiscuous. I've I've changed <laughs> on that front a lot, and I if, if when people talk about like having another life or whatever, I'd like to have another crack at uh, being a slut. Yes, yeah. I, I, or 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 not having judgment around that and seeing if it is for me or, or if you know what that is. That's where I've changed my most. My attitudes have changed the most. I think from. When I was a younger person. And, and is that wrapped up in the whole uh, messaging around HIV prevention, which was one of shame? I think it, for me, part of it, sure. But it, but it started earlier when I think in, a, in American culture, maybe it's true over there too, like nobody tells you sex is fun and beautiful. Hmm. It's dangerous. It's scary. It's sinful. You're slutty. Uh, if you're gay, it's horrible. If you, I had a crazy guilt about masturbation when I was a teenager. Oh, wow. That was the one thing I was doing wrong. Everything else I was good. And I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. And then, that, you know, that would last a few days. Um, but, like, you know, could you imagine what if somebody had said, hey, this is a normal part of life. Everyone does it. Enjoy yourself. Um, someday you're going to be attracted to other people. That's beautiful. You know, some people like to be with lots of people, and that's okay. And some people don't, and that's fine too. Like, like mm. there was nothing, no messages, and also there was everyone was afraid to talk about anything. Like, I mm. remember once asking my father during an episode of Charlie's Angels what prostitution was because I didn't know what what it was. And of course, every episode is about prostitution, and silence, nothing, nothing. So, the, my family that time, nobody talked about anything. Uh, having to do with sex or sexuality or or your body changing, anything like that. So you're on your own, right? And then uh, there was a bit of a religion thing in my background, although I never really beat myself up around the religion stuff too much. Thank God. I had friends that were Mormons who just went through hell and conversion therapy and all kinds of crap. Um, I sort of drifted away from the church around college because I started doing theater and that became more churchy to me. It became more meaningful and and spiritual in a way, I guess. But there was a lot of fear around sexuality and stuff. Although, of course, you have attractions and you are feelings and you are horny and all of that stuff. But it felt like something that I had to keep an eye on. Don't get AIDS. Don't, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, um... For sure. Mm-hmm. And and then so you had recognized your sexuality before you moved to L.A. But you Yeah, didn't... I mean, I, I started to put it together. Like the last couple of years, I'm like, I like guys. When I went on the cruise ship, I had my first male 
kind of boyfriend, I guess. But I was sort of seeing a female dancer at the same time, and she knew about it. And it was sort of clear to me that, like, okay, this is where my... I, I like the guy. The guys are... It's different. I'm, I'm into guys, for sure. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even then I was still pretty conservative. And, like, I, and I don't drink. I've never drank. And so I'm not going to get drunk and have a tumble. It just doesn't ha- It doesn't happen. I've never been into drinking. I've never cared about it. I never found it interesting. I always felt like it was wrong for me. And when I was working on the cruise ships, of course, a lot of people drink. There's a lot of partying and, and all of that stuff. But I just was never, it never felt right for me. So mm-hmm. I think if I had been a drinker, I might have had more early experiences. I might have broken down some walls a little bit. But it just, that was never going to be my thing. Mm-hmm. I wasn't into it. But but so moving to LA, where it's quite a uh, mecca, a center of gay life um, yeah. for for many Americans. How long was it before you started going out on the scene, exploring, dipping your toe in the waters? Well, I worked on the cruise ships for about four or five years, on and off, and so it wasn't until the early '90s when I settled back in LA that I started going out to clubs and dance clubs and sort of meeting friends and the first kind of click, or I guess, or group and place that I got into was Oil Can Harry's. That was the first time I sort of found my my people, and I'll go there, and I'll know people, and this will be where we hang out, and we'll go multiple nights a week, and we'll try to meet guys, and we'll dance, and we'll, you know, that was our hangout. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was our cheers, you know, where everybody knows your name. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time I saw two men dancing together in a, in a, in a hold, like, um, you know, with their arms around each other and how strange it was to see like, and there was a, probably a little bit of internalized homophobia in it. Like this is, this looks weird. This is weird. But then it was also sort of like beautiful once you kind of got over the visual, you're just not used to seeing it, you know, and they would do like waltzes and I'm a dancer. So I love dancing and any kind of dance and expressing myself through dance. And so when I saw that dancing was such a part of this subculture, like you went there and you asked people to dance and they said yes and you danced and they did line dances and then there was the barn dance where there were two circles and you met, you switched partners so you met everybody. I forgot about the barn dance until this moment. Uh, I think it was Wild Wild West was the song. And I think it was what, Wild Wild West. Da, da, da. Um, and so I, I became like, oh, this is really fun. This speaks to me. Um, it's sexy. But it's it's friendly. It's not um, dark. It's not super sexually aggressive. And, you know, it's not front and center sex, which I wasn't uh-huh. comfortable with yet. I probably still isn't, but I wish I were more. Um, and I was really like, oh, this is cool. You can meet somebody like this. You could talk to them and you can connect. And, and I like dancing. And I'm a good dancer. I have confidence around dancing. I can shine here. I can be cute here. Talk to me about the etiquette, because I've never, ever been to a country and Western bar. I do, do not understand what happens. It is really, that's what was so unique about it. It was like oh, like an old-fashioned sock hop from a 50s movie. Like, somebody would ask you to dance, and you would mm-hmm. say yes, and you would go down on the floor, and most of the dances were two steps. And so you, there would be two-stepping lessons and line dancing lessons twice a week at Oil Can Harry's. So if you are new, you might want to, like, bone up. Or if you just like learning different line dances, you would go to the lessons. And I did some of that, but um, not a ton of it. 
plus I pick up choreography kind of quick, so because <laughs> I'm a dancer, so it was like, oh, I can, I know, right? I exactly. I was like, I got this, I got this. Although some of them are really intricate, and I would be like, mm, I can't, I don't, I thought I knew that, but I don't. I clearly don't. So. Yeah, you just so, kind of okay, the time. So was it like this song is always yes. this dance? Yes. Okay. Like there was a clogging number that was very ambitious. Like it was almost like tap dancing. And it was to this song called Rhythm of the Road. And if you were going to do it, you had to have gone to a bunch of lessons because it's hard. And I learned it. And so whenever that song would come on, everyone would rush out. Get out of my way. Get out of my way. Right. I was like, I am doing this, and I'm going to fucking kill it. Right? I'm going to, like, I was very, don't pop the head, Cassie. Like, I was a little bit like chorus line, and I had my boots. And sometimes I, I did have a hat. I didn't wear it that much. But I had my cowboy boots and the jeans. And it was like you would dress appropriately. And you would do those, that rhythm of the road clogging. But there were, most of the songs were sort of two steps, which was just a kind of a simpler dance that you do in hold. And it's, it feels a little unnatural at first because it's not in a four, four time. It's kind of a different time, but you just get in the rhythm and you just keep going. And then there's somebody that leads and somebody that follows. So somebody would ask you to dance or you would ask somebody to dance and there would be like, do you lead or follow? So what, and, but was there an expectation that if you were the person initiating the conversation, you would be the one leading, or did you not? Work yes, like that? but not necessarily, because I think somebody would ask somebody to dance, and it was like, "What are you more comfortable with? What do you like to lead?" Yeah, I can lead. Or if somebody was newer, they might follow or whatever. Okay, there was certain people that were like, "Oh, that guy's a really strong leader, and he's, you know, he's got an alpha energy to him, like a little bit of that top and bottom thing." But it was a little bit more like, uh. A dance by dance basis, kind of like I like I, I can follow, or this guy's a really strong leader, or this person's new, so I will lead. You know, mm-hmm. I was kind of comfortable in either position. But one of the things I remember most fondly is there's a type of dance called the shadow dance, and instead of facing each other, you are kind of spooned, and if you're in the front, you're kind of leaning back against the guy. And you do the same rhythm of this two-step around the floor, but it's a slower song usually. And it is the sexiest thing. It is so sexy. Like when I hear that Alana um, Miles song, Black Velvet, Black mm-hmm. Velvet, that is a shadow dance of Royal Can Harry's. And you, it, with the right partner, it was so erotic. And I, I mean, I could see, <laughs> I can imagine myself sort of making faces as you were going around because, you know, he's behind you. And there's a rhythm to it. The hips are going. It's incredibly sexy. So I remember the first time seeing people dance like this. It was a little like, that's unnatural and also very, very hot. Like, it was it was so hot. And I... So, like, that's unnatural. Sign me up. Yes. For sure. It was super hot. And also, there was just something sweet about somebody asking you to dance and... There was an innocence to it. There wasn't as much rejection. There wasn't as much like you're not hot enough or, uh-huh. you know. Um, I do remember one guy that I really thought was handsome asking him to dance and he rejected me. He said no. And because it was like me getting up the nerve to ask him and he said no. And I still remember what he looks like and what his vibe was. Like, I know I'm hot. I know I'm really handsome. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really like the top 1% I'll hear. But I do dance with some people, and you can come and ask me, but, yeah, I said no. <laughs> so that was the vibe. And I made it that a point bastard. to always say yes. I always said yes. I, wanted, I didn't want to make people feel bad. 
So what happened then if you got like halfway through a song and the person was a really bad dancer? You just, you just end it. it. You just go through it. No, you just go through it. You do your best and you laugh it off and you... Um, O.L. Can Harry's was a place where people felt safe to mess up, to be good dancers, to not be good dancers, to make a fool of themselves, to wear this or that. or like I, There was something about that place that felt like you weren't being judged every second. In a, in a world that's very hard on gay people, but also a gay community that can be like, can you believe he's wearing that shirt? Or, or gosh, mm-hmm. he's 31. He needs to fucking die already. Like, you know, there was not a lot of looksism. There was not a lot of bodyism stuff, although there were hot guys that went there and, that, that, you know, that you would think of as typical whatever. But, but they were the outsider. The, you know, like if there was a circuit boy type that would show up, he was the outsider. He was the, the novelty, the freak, if you will, in mm-hmm. that space. Uh, he was also very popular. <laughs> there was a lot of curiosity, and I'm sure he did quite well. People were very excited about it. But it it wasn't like a circuit party where everybody... I remember once, the first time I ever was around a circuit party, I'd gone because a friend of mine was doing some kind of performance there, and I was just kind of along for the ride, and there was a van that would shuttle the guys from a parking lot, you know, a mile away to the venue, which was some fancy mansion or something, and... The vans would just open and these guys would get out and they were all stunning and they all had the same body. And I was like, they're the same people. <laughs> like it was just van after van. And I was like waiting for my friend or something. And I was like, oh, what were they like before they became each other? Like, I just thought it was so weird. And it also made me feel unattractive and not enough. And I needed to stop eating bread. And I got it, you know, that was the way to be. But it was um, a cultural moment for sure and a and a, a phenomenon that made you feel either not enough or ju- i could be judged oh they have to do drugs and i hate the music and but oil can harry's had none of that isn't it fascinating when you simultaneously have this view of like oh that's not something i'm particularly interested in i wouldn't want to do that but also like oh i'm really jealous of them yes <laughs> Because sometimes I think, like, I might be looking at something on Instagram or some some porny thing or something, and I think there's a part of me that would like love to go all in on that. I'll get, I'm going to get the hot body, and I'm going to have all the friends, and we're all going to fuck each other. And what would that be like? And there's a part of me that thinks, oh, that's kind of sexy. And then I realize I hate the music. I couldn't get past the the music. I really couldn't. I could I could maybe muster some discipline and change my body and all the stuff and I would go there and I'm like I can't. I need a melody. I do. You need you know it's a bunch of people secretly wishing that they would play Holiday by Madonna <laughs> or Escapade. Don't you they you know we're all trying to look cool and trancy but we really just want to hear Oops I did it again or Toxic. <laughs> Am I right? That's how I, I feel. So what's my point? But, but so yes, there is there is something primal and sexual and oh god they're sexy and what would it be like to have that kind of power or to feel to have that kind of confidence around your uh sex appeal and your ability to perform in that way i i I admire that but then i remember i I can't with the songs or the drugs i'm not i'm not gonna i'm not into that either not like i secretly want to be and i'm just afraid no i'm not into it not into Mm -mm. it Mm -mm. yeah i mean i think it's just like for me the 
The amount of time you need to spend at the gym. It's a lot. Yeah, get other hobbies. It's a lot, and it's also like you can't let up, it feels like. I'm always interested when you'll see somebody you know, a friend or an acquaintance, who buckles down and and pulls it together and changes their body, and they have like that summer of smoking hotness. And then the next time you I see them, it's all gone. Like that. <laughs> I, 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 they're more acquaintances. I can think of a couple of people. Not they're not close friends, but there's somebody that I know from. Oh my gosh, he went all in, and he's got he's gotten it. But it never. It's always sort of for a season. And then I also think there's this thing of when you tell the world to regard you for the way you look, they don't stop. In other words, when it starts to go. They're still thinking about... I don't know. I think when you tell the world, this is how I want to be judged, they're going to just keep doing that. And then it's going to get harder as you get older. But is it like... Okay, so there's kind of... There's the two scenarios, right? There's people who have always been hot and right. don't know what it's like not You're John Stamoses, who John, had maybe John, one pimple. Okay. Oh, do you know who John Stamos is? I do, but like that's a that's a weird reference to make. Well, he's right? somebody that I always <laughs> think of as like, he's never had an awkward age. He's always been cute. Any, okay, like, okay, let's not talk about this. Um, and then you've got the other people who like maybe understand what it's like to be disregarded and overlooked because of your physical appearance and then have this moment that you're talking about where they are hot and maybe it's just the glow up yeah and then they just go oh actually this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. So I'm just going to get fat again. I mean, not right. fat means you're ugly, but... Or maybe it's, this is not worth... Mm. This isn't as fun as I thought it would be, or whatever. Or it's not worth all that it takes, yeah, and the yeah. discipline and the work and all that stuff. Or maybe it's, like, worse, because maybe it's, like, people are treating you in a very different way that makes you feel icky. I think it can be a little overwhelming, maybe. I don't know. It's interesting. Like, I do follow some people on social media who are, quote-unquote, hot... And there's lots of, like, <laughs> underwear pictures, and it's fun. It's, like, they're sexy and eye candy, and I love it. And then, you know, lots of different pictures for a long time and inspirational quotes and gym day, don't forget leg day, and all of this stuff. And then there'll be this quote of, like, it's so dark. I'm going to take a break from social media. I've got, like, they're, they're, a sadness that is so dark and count out of nowhere and... I think, you know, that it's just like, oh, wow, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm okay with my love handles. If this- <laughs> but like, is their darkness greater than everyone else's darkness or is it just more apparent because you've assumed that there is no darkness? A few of the things that I've read were dark, like maybe were, were darker than I think, you know, me and my friends, if we got together and really poured mm. our hearts out, I don't know if we'd get that dark. I don't know. There's some. Maybe it's it's just human, and it's just part of part of normal thing. Mm. But I have seen that phenomenon a, a fair amount, where somebody who on the outside really seems to have hot boy life, and then something crashes. I don't know. It's, yeah, I mean, there's also like, what can you? believe on social media because right. people if they're curating this life of like the perfect life yeah then maybe they want like the perfect breakdown as well <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and so maybe they're exaggerating it like everything's terrible everything's really, dramatic got no it cut. could be and they're mm-hmm. always like that's it i'm done with social media i'm gonna take a break for a while and then two days later they're like um 
here I am at the airport. I got this smoothie. <laughs> yeah. I, I have really cut down on my scrolling. I, um, in terms of just like ways to pass the time, I try not to. It's too much of kind of a, like an emotional slot machine. Uh, but, um, yeah, but yeah, it is, it is a thing. It is a thing that we didn't have 15 years ago and earlier. Mm. I don't know if we're meant to know that much stuff about people. What do you think? I see, I don't enjoy social media terribly. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's all about who you follow, isn't it? Like sometimes if you're following the right people, then it's a blast. I tend to follow a lot of people that do lots of like vague statements about things. And then you're just like, oh God, I don't care enough. <laughs> like, oh, shut up. But I think it's, it, yeah, I think it's just really difficult because in order to get your point across, you have to remove all nuance and you have to like, you know, either be like 100% in this direction or 100% in this direction. And so we're just kind of losing the shades of people's personalities. And so they have to just be like all of one thing or nothing of one thing. And it just, yeah, becomes a bit boring. It is. I think maybe it'll crest and then people will move away from it. I it's a performance, and I don't feel like performing, you know, mm. that much. And I guess other people really like it. They really feel like it. They're into it. Um, I have friends like that that, like, they're, they live out loud on social media. But I'm, it's not my thing. But um, It's also interesting yeah. when people are like, because, you know, the other thing for me is I don't think that my opinions are that important or, or interesting or, like, particularly different to other people. But it's... It's really interesting to watch other people say things that aren't new or interesting or particularly insightful, but say it as though it was. <laughs> yes. And then, like, that that whole mindset, I think, is really interesting as well. Like, Well, and also, like, uh, I go on Twitter a, a bit, but I don't post much on Twitter except when I'm plugging a podcast or something. But um, it, there's a rhythm to it. But then, like it lands, like it's a dunk. Like, well, the same people that are worried about, um, you know, this kind of recycling need to also think about Neh. like mm-hmm. it's just a sort of like I, I want to wake up in the morning and do this all day. Neh. That's what I want to do. That's how I want to spend my days. It's a kind of dunking that uh, I don't know. We don't do it when we're face to face. You can, mm. like, I don't know, but there's a rhythm to these these tweets where people are dunking and weighing in and they're very superior and they're right. And and I think in the end, I don't think I'm going to lay on my deathbed and be going, gosh, I wish I'd tweeted more. I just don't think that's going to happen. Maybe it is. I might say, gosh, I wish I'd tried to write that book or I might wish that I had done something, but I don't think it's going to be, gosh... Mm. Mm-hmm. I wish I really had a different social media game. I just don't think it matters much. You know, and when people get canceled or bullied on Twitter, and, and I'm like, well, don't look. <laughs> In other words, uh, but I, 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 I can't imagine that it's fun to, to get that much online hate. But you, can, you don't have to look at it. 
Do you? Or maybe you do. Or maybe you feel it in your life. So I'm not at this stage, so I'm not, like, the right person to make this comment. But if you have built your life around that kind of platform and if you are used to interacting every day with a certain number of people and suddenly the space where you do that is compromised because you're getting all these messages of hate and stuff then that's probably where the loss comes from yes because you had something in a way it's your community it's a community turning on you i can see that you know what that makes a lot of sense and 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 it's really easy to be flippant and be like well just go out and make real life friends yeah log off for a couple days yeah it's not always possible for people yeah i get it anyway so, so wait, this dancing thing, right? Yes, let's go back to it. I love it. You would just say yes to everyone. I would. I, I, if, tried, to, I tried to not say no to anyone because I know what it feels like to be rejected. Yeah. But if I danced with you and I was terrible and I clumped all over your feet and I like made one of, I made your big toe go black and the <laughs> nail fall off, then the following week when I'm like, hey, do you want to dance? Would you say yes? I think I would. Oh, I can't God. remember saying no because it's a three-minute song. I like I I don't. Nothing, yeah, you lost nothing, your nail because of me. <laughs> I don't remember any <laughs> dancing with anyone where it was that bad, you know. Um, and most people that do it um, are good or do, or do it or, or do it. No, <laughs> what am I trying to say? I think if it's something that you try and you aren't able to really find your way with, I don't know if you would just keep trying. I don't know. I just don't remember having that experience where I was like, oh, I can't stand. I would, I would, I hide me. I don't want to dance with that person. Um, it was more of like you were dancing with the whole room in a way, regardless of who your partner was. It was that kind of feeling. Expand yeah. on that for me. It was light enough in there that you could see the other couples moving around the floor and you're moving with them. Or if it was a line dance, you were dancing with everybody. So there Mm -hmm. really is a collective movement and and you're going in a direction. Like it's almost like a roller skating rink. If you're two-stepping, there's a direction that everyone's going. So you're moving like that, which would be different than like a regular dance club where people are just dancing Mm -hmm. like at a, a circuit party or something like that. There's a movement around the floor of the collective. Um, and then when you're doing line dances, everyone's moving together and that's really fun too. You know, it's like you get to feel part of something bigger than yourself, I guess. And even part of something bigger than a couple. There's something nice about it. It feels good. Mm-hmm. The, the other thing I was going to ask about the country dancing is were there ever occasions where no one asked you to dance and you were just stood on the side like, oh, I guess I have to watch. Uh, maybe. Maybe a little bit. I, I think there are times when I've gone there and felt lonely or felt like I wasn't connecting with anybody or or maybe there was nobody that, that I was interested in there. Or, But mostly there are times when I felt lonely there, for sure. But but I felt lonely in my life there and, and was there and kind of looking around and... I think I think so. But it didn't foster that feeling. But I think mm-hmm. there are times when... Maybe you look around and you see a couple together and you're like, oh, they look so happy. I'm so jealous or whatever. I can, I can remember feeling that way there for sure at times, mm. like anywhere. Isn't it funny when like sometimes when you're feeling a bit like down on yourself or lonely yeah. or isolated or whatever, and then you go out and it snaps you out of that mood. But then sometimes when you do that and you go out, it just 
further highlights how lonely you feel. Yeah, for sure. Like, what's the ingredient? What's the thing that triggers one result over the other? I don't know, but I, I, I know that I've experienced both for sure. As long yeah. as no one comes up to you and says, cheer up, it might never happen. <laughs> Whoever does things like yeah. that can jump in a river, as far as I'm concerned. No, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Did, um, how did you find out that it had closed down? I think I saw something on social media. And it was during, I think it was near the end of 2020, 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a post... And it was just so sad. But at this point, we'd all been locked down for almost a year and things were closing. And but in, and, there, and there had been other announcements up until then of this restaurant or that thing or whatever. But this one was a huge blow because it was such an institution. And it was such a safe haven, not just, not just from the heterosexual world or, or that kind of thing, but it was a safe haven where you felt safe within the gay world. Like you didn't have to be a certain kind of... LGBTQ. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You just had to be nice and fun. Like, that's all it... I, I think if you had a lot of attitude, it wasn't your place. But that's pretty much... You had to have five bucks and that. And a, and a, and a open... You had to be sort of open-hearted, I, I, in a way. That's all you needed. You didn't need a fancy outfits. You could bring weird flags from home and throw them around. And, <laughs> oh, disco night, they would bring tambourines. I was like, oh, a guy brought a tambourine. Like, it had that kind of a feeling to it. It was very loving place, for sure. It was magic. And did you remember how you reacted? I just thought it was really just sad, like a loss. Like, and it made me wish that I had gone more in the, the last few years when it was still open. Because uh, mm-hmm. they, they were doing a lot of stuff, karaoke night. And, but like I said, a lot of my, my friends that I used to go with are in couples now or they've moved away. And, you know, your you're, you're single carousing friends... They, they don't always last. Uh, that mm. dynamic doesn't always last. And also, mm. I, I, I saw that the, the owner or the manager, whoever posted, I just remember him saying, um, don't, don't write sad things on social media. Don't post negative things or whatever. But, but, but if you want to post positive things, go for it. But it, it won't help to post. You know, like kind of saying this is already sad. Mm. Don't make it sadder. And what do you think L.A. has lost? That, that, that go-to place where you could feel safe and cool and hot and young and you didn't feel judged at all by the outside community or the gay community. It was always somewhere where everyone felt welcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, a, that's in a city like L.A. that is always has the image of being about appearance and youth and beauty and plastic surgery and... West Hollywood and all of that stuff, this was none of that. It was the opposite of that stereotype, for sure, for for L.A. Do you have any memories of Oil Can Harry's or clubbing from your own queer scene that you want to share? Well, if you do, please get in touch. I want to create the biggest online record of people's memories and stories of queer clubbing. Go to lostspacespodcast.com and find the section Share a Lost Space and tell me all about what it is you got up to. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as Lost Spaces Pod. 
Find out more about Dennis and his podcast at www.dennisanyone.net or follow him on Twitter. His profile there is Hensley Dennis. Lost Spaces is not only a podcast, but a concept record as well. I have been writing songs about queer venues and the people who used to live their lives there and will be releasing songs over the coming year. You can hear the first single, which is called Well Groomed Boys and is playing underneath my talking right now on all good streaming platforms. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would really appreciate if you subscribed, left a review on your podcast platform of choice, or just told people who you think might be interested in giving it a little listen to. I am Kay Anderson, and you have been listening to Lost Spaces. All right, so that was something different, right? Uh, check out Lost Spaces wherever you get your podcast. That was just a taste of what it's like, and everybody has stories. There's so many venues and so much history, and I think it's so great that Kay Anderson is capturing it in the way that he is. All right, so this happened. Um, I went and saw this great play. I've been seeing so many good plays since things have started opening up again. Um, Holland Taylor plays the Texas governor, Ann Richards, in a play called Ann. Um, she's the only performer on stage, although you do hear another voice. And I had heard it was good, but when I went and saw it, I was just knocked out. It was so good. And Holland Taylor wrote it, too. So it was her total labor of love. I guess she originally did it in around 2013, and the and the show was actually a big hit on Broadway, and she got nominated for Tony. I don't know where I was for all of this. And also, it was recorded... For PBS and BroadwayHD.com, I think you could find it. So it exists out there, but it was all new to me, and I was just knocked out by it. It didn't seem like Holland Taylor. It seemed like she was just channeling this other person. Because she has those sort of the Holland Taylor characters that she always plays, the sort of sophisticated, urbanite, you know, uh, you, you could imagine her sort of swilling a, a martini or something on the morning show. Anyway, she disappears and becomes Ann Richards, this firecracker of a governor that was the democratic governor of texas not that long ago and uh i just loved it i love the writing of it i love the performing of it i i was really really blown away so i think it's showing a little while longer in la but probably after this comes out but maybe you can track it down on uh on broadway hd or something like that but it was certainly a treat and i'm so glad that i saw it all right that's enough for this week thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time on dennis anyone bye